on this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at the fact, the fact, Victor, that 73% of B2B buyers are now millennials. We're going to look at the top 10 CRMs for small businesses and there's some surprises in there. And we're going to ask the question and maybe have an attempt to answer it. Can automated sales emails really be customized? And there's much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder over at Salesman.org. And I'm going to, I'm going to change the intro slightly here, Victor. We don't okay. just have selling legend Victor Antonio on the show. Joining me, co-hosting this, we have sales royalty, Victor Antonio. How's it going, sir? <laughs> oh, we, we've I didn't see we've lost coming. him already. I didn't see that one coming. I'm doing good, Will. How are you doing, man? I am very well. I'm very well. I'm excited to uh, to go through this episode with you. And there's some good, there's some good news in the dark. I think um, oh, I'll wait, be the first. Oh, Come on. May I interrupt your flow here? Uh, okay. I just want to say... I like your shirt, Matt. It has a cool lumberjack look to it. Is that what you're going for with the beard, the whole lumberjack look? Wait, wait, we right there. We're gonna we're gonna break some boundaries now. One sec, you want more lumberjack? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get... Why not? Because <laughs> I've literally just got to the studio. I'm gonna put me woolly hats on. Uh, I've got a flea, got a Patagonia fleece down there. In fact, there's a there's a toolbox that I could pull out a saw as well. We go, we'll go full millennial lumberjack on this episode of the show. Okay. If you're listening to this on audio, you gotta go see the video. You just have to see the video. You you are now full lumberjack. Full go lumberjack. Uh, but I'm way too soft to be out there cutting down trees. That's not my that's not my game. I'm too soft for that, Victor. All right, go for it. Okay, wait. So I alluded to it in the intro, and this affects you, I, and I am part of this. I'm part of this movement, Victor. The post-pandemic evolution of B2B sales. Research conducted by Merit, and this is over at thewisemarketer.com. Research conducted by Merit found that up to 73% of B2B buyers are now millennials. I'm 34. I'm at the top end of this millennial group. And this transition is, of course, changing the B2B sales landscape. I'll add just a layer to this before we dive in a bit deeper. But B2B uh, millennials, right? B2B buyers now yeah, have grown up. Lot. That's a big number, yeah, and we've grown up with the internet. We The internet is our lives. There's no, I remember pre-internet, remember post-internet. When I was 13, 14, the internet was 56K modems. I'd come back, I'd rush home back from school to jump onto MSM Messenger or ICQ to then try and chat with the girls on chat from school that I was too scared to talk to in real life. The internet has literally from that moment on has been a massive part of my life. Um, and so it, clearly it's going to affect how B2B buyers moving forward want to communicate, how they want to to buy and and how salespeople have to sell. You know, it's funny because there, there was a stat and I can't quote the, uh, the, the source, but I remember in 2020, a uh, 50-50 split between uh, salespeople who were millennials and baby boomers. And it says by 2030, that's going to be a 75-25, obviously in favor of millennials. So the buyers have gotten there first. If we believe that number, mm. the buyers have gotten there first. This is really interesting. So I'll, I'll carry on. According to the IBM Institute, millennials prefer to engage B2B sales through email or phone nearly three to one over face-to-face -face meetings. That is a weird way of saying those numbers and statistics. But yeah, we talked about this on the show before, Victor. I would rather email someone and get an email back. I'd rather use live chats. I don't hate using the phone. I don't mind using the phone. But I feel like it's I feel like it's almost a burden to call someone and you have to go through the... If you don't get them directly, you've got to leave a message, you've got to play ping pong. I massively, and I, I think I speak for a lot of millennials, would rather use email um than than face to face meetings even or or even Zoom. I agree. I you know I, I'm starting to see it. I've, by the way, I'm at the tail end of baby boomers here, right? And so the last year of the baby boomers. So I'm I'm at the tail end of this, and even I've noticed a difference that people. Are you, simply, are you trying to make yourself look young then, saying you're the you're the very bottom of this this large group of, <laughs> of basically old am. people. I, I'm truly yeah. I'm truly <laughs> at the I'm, I'm the youngest end of the older class. So yes, I am trying to do that. So thank you. Well, so but but even I've noticed this with my kids. You know, I'll call them right, and they'll text me back. They don't answer the phone. They just text me back like, "What do you want?" I'm like, "Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it." So, dad, Dad, can you schedule something in, please? You know, I'm busy. Yeah, yeah. This is this is this number is really shocking to me. Well, and, I gotta be and, honest. And just to clarify, really the text verbatim says, "Merit found that." Up to 73% of buyers are now, B2B buyers are now millennials. So clearly this is going to be industry, uh, depending on industry, I guess. 
probably what's what's an industry that would uh, if you're selling to finance maybe there'd be less millennials there versus if you're selling to esports competitors or or people who are creating broadcast equipment for that kind of realm so th- th- clearly there is some um, i think you're right in pointing that out so that number will be flexed slightly i guess so still a big number hey did you know we have international women's was it day or week by the way out of curiosity is there an international man day if there isn't, I'd like to institute one. Because why should women have a day for themselves? We should have a day, shouldn't we, Will? Are you with me on this? I am. It's Friday the 19th of November, International Man's Day. Okay, Men's there day. you go. All right. What day was it? The 19th of November, two days after okay. my birthday. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make sure, now that I know your birthday, I'm going to make sure that on the 19th, we celebrate International Man Day. I am now not going to mention my birthday or International Man's Day, and I'm going to then berate you for it for missing both of them on the, the 27th of November when we end up recording. Okay. So November 17th is your birthday. Is that a confirmed? That is confirmed. Okay. That is confirmed. I got it. I'm not going to write that down because I don't even trust my memory. I, I, you know, because I'm older. I don't trust my memory, Will. So I got Will's birthday on the 17th. But hey, you know, last week we talked about Gong hiring somebody onto their board. And this week we have another girl power moment. Mary Shea, leading analyst of sales technology, joins Outreach as the first ever global innovation evangelist. First of all, congratulations to Mary Shea. Part two, innovation evangelist. Why do I have a problem with that title? Well, I don't know. Is, it, is there something eva- you're Okay, you're going to evangelize innovation. It just sounds weird. I'm saying, by the way, big shout out to Outreach, great company. But I mean, do you, eva- you evangelize innovation. Isn't that kind of like an obvious? We should always be talking about innovation. But anyway, in her new role, Shea is responsible for helping educate the market and com- customers on the rapidly evolving sales technology landscape. Outreach, the largest and fastest growing sales engagement platform. We don't talk about outreach enough. It's a great company. Today announced that Mary Shea, sales futurist. Wait a minute. Now she, and industry. See, I like sales futurist and leading industry analyst. I like that as VP of global innovation and evangelist. I think they should, it should be VP sales futurist, global sales futurist. Mary, quote, has been such a strong expert and advocate of sales technology. She played a crucial role in shaping the current state of not just the sales engagement category, but also the sales technology uh, category as a whole, said Manny Medina, M&M, CEO of Outreach. This part I wanted to highlight for you. Did you know this well, that Shay led the research for and authored the inaugural Forrester Wave? As opposed to the Gartner quadrant, she said, well, we're not going to go with squares. We're going to go with waves. That's why Mary Shea is an innovation evangelist. Anyway, sales engagement. uh, This is on the sales engagement report in 2020, pointing to the pandemic as a watershed moment for B2B selling and amplifying the need for companies to invest in sales engagement solutions. So uh, this was off the uh, PR Newswire. So congratulations, Mary Shea over at Outreach. I mean, that evangelist, am I saying that word? Correctly, evangelist. I think you are. I think that comes from, um, is it Guy Kawasaki? I think I'm getting his surname correct. Who was the, he was like, he was the first one I've heard use that title. He's a Apple evangelist. Um, he wrote books, created tons of content around Apple, and he got paid to basically promote the organization and evangelize the organization um, from the inside out. So mm-hmm. I think tech startups like to try and copy the branding and the the style and maybe this is a, a cooler thing in silicon valley than perhaps me and you want to just call the title marketer i don't know maybe that's yeah. what's meant to do <laughs> it's too easy i like the word disciple how about let's go with disciple <laughs> the global innovation disciple also known as the gid yeah i've got a vp of gid the the vip <laughs> What, what you do? I'm the Vipigid of over average. <laughs> there you go. I, I think we should consider that a new title, man. So anyway, what I would love you that. evangelize, Victor? I guess two questions here. What company would you be? Would you just stop everything you're doing, drop it, and go and and work in this kind of role for that organization? And is there anything else, product, service, culturally that you you talk about, you promote, that you evangelize? 
I think I, w without naming a company, because then people think I have favorites, which I do, but I won't mention them. But I would love to work with some of these sales engagement or sales enablement platform companies, and I would like to evangelize some of their stuff. And I think I would be, my message to the market is, AI is coming, and it's coming for your job. But I also think it's going to help customers, again, reduce the friction in terms of buying. That would be my thing, is how do we implement AI to make life easier when it comes to buying slash selling? Is there any products or services outside of sales that you just you just love, that you talk about that thing all the time, you're always recommending it? No, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> Can you? Yes, Can you of, loads. So, um, for example, Vitamix. I bought a Vitamix blender. I use it every day, and I make a, a rather disgusting green vegetable smoothie. I recommend <laughs> that to people. They're quite expensive. But I went through a bunch of crappy blenders, then got this one. And it, clearly, in hindsight, you shouldn't buy all the crappy ones because they add up to the same price as a decent one. Um, these New Balance trainers. I'm going to take them. We're pushing boundaries here, Victor. Pushing boundaries. Put them <laughs> these are New Balance uh, 515s, I think. Like super classic trainer. I've got like three pairs of them. In uh, same color, same gray. These are my dog walking crappy ones. So comfortable. Talk about them all the time. They're quite, um, uh, they're actually in fashion now. In the the dad trainer is, I'm going to leave it on the desk here. The dad yeah. trainer is in fashion. Um, so uh, again, if you're, if you're watching, if you're listening to this on audio, you just have to watch the video. It's just, it's hilarious to watch Will holding a shoe up in the air as he's talking. Go ahead. <laughs> and uh, what else? There's, 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 there's a few products that like, um, and those two come to mind top of, and I'll, I'll include some in the show notes as well, that I'm I'm happy to talk about and happy to promote. And it's because they're frigging great products. Um, Leatherman knives. I've got a, I can't remember the model, but I've had Leatherman knives forever since I was a kid, right? Uh, pen knives, pocket knives that usually have a, um, what should you call it? Um, whatever. They have extra tools within them as well. I recommend them to people. Like, if there's a good brand and there's a good product and they've always treated me well, I will happily uh, promote all of these without any, uh, without we, just without without anything on the back end of it. I'm, I'm really happy to do that. I'm, I'm surprised that there's nothing that you go that you okay. do every year, or there's a product that you you recommend or anything like that. The 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 product that I've been most happiest with is this right here behind me, the Vibe Board. Yep. I knew this I because you talk about this all the time. You've got it linked in the show board. notes of all your videos. Yes, I love the Vibe Board. The Vibe Board, uh, if you go to vibe.us, you'll see what I'm talking about, Smart Board. And by the way, discount code, Victor Antonio. Nice. But I love this board because it's it's just, it's a great board. I mean, it's expensive. It's like $3,500 with a stand, but it is the best tool, the best investment I made over the last year in mm -hmm. terms of technology products. So I guess I am excited about the Vibe Board. Yep, and I'll throw one final one in, which is useful for the audience if they're doing Zoom calls and that side of things. Um, well, two, AirPods are great if you use iPhones. Yeah. Connect seamlessly, yeah. just work, fantastic product. Yep, I've got a pair in the office next to me. And if you're not using an Apple product or if you travel a lot or if you like a bit more silence, uh, Bose QuietComfort 35s, the, the, the classic Bose um, noise cancelling headphone that everyone has on an airplane. I've had one pair of them. They've never broken. I've worn them that much, Victor. Literally, I wear them every day, all day when I'm working on the computer. Even in my own house, I just have them on. Um, I, love, I, love, I love my AirPods. I, yeah. I will mention one software product. I use sure. Ecamm Live. Mm -hmm. Ecamm Live for my live streaming. And that software has been a champ. You know, And the stuff that you can do with Ecamm Live, it, it's pretty incredible. So we'll leave it at that. We've, we've pushed enough products. Yeah. Let's go. Yep, and the, the point of all that is that I would happily, with a lot of the organizations that I have just talked about, if they paid me enough, I would drop what I'm doing and go and promote those products. And so if you're working in sales and you're listening to this and you're looking at the product that you sell and you're going, mm, uh, maybe it's not quite, maybe I wouldn't promote it to my friends and family, then maybe the organization that you're working for, it might be worth a change. That's where Ooh, I'll, I'll leave it with that. Ooh, hard truth. I love that. Hard truth right there from Will Barron. <laughs> well, more hard truths for you, Victor. This is a post from comarketing.com, komarketing.com, uh, entitled 64% of B2B marketers still faced with budget and resource challenges. Now, that's interesting. Marketers listen to the show. I'm sure they're like right now going, yes, they're going to talk about us. Well, I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about another element from this post where they're talking about sales and marketing alignment. So marketers, 33% of marketers say 
that sales and marketing alignment is the highest uh, or most difficult challenge right now. First off, does that number surprise you or is that about right? Are you expecting that? I, I don't know what to expect, but it sounds right. Do you know what I mean? I know there's a number there. I don't know how high or low it should be, but yeah, that's a good starting point for a number. Cool. So I'll carry on yeah. from the, the article itself from komarketing.com. Despite the initiatives in place to collaborate with sales, research suggests that this is an area that B2B marketers have needed to prove, improve upon. Ultima published its digital uh, its state of digital selling report and the data indicated that just just 32% of average B2B marketers successfully collaborate with sales to deliver the right content at the right time to convert leads. That is a fail, right? That, mm -hmm. that if only a third of marketers are supporting salespeople with the right content at the right time to, to convert leads because a lead doesn't count who cares about leads into sales. That is a massive failure. So two thirds of marketers are doing it wrong. Is that fair to say? Based on this data it is, but, but, but I think it's interesting because we're starting to see that move, right? Well, that maybe the problem is that these companies, because we don't know what companies they look at, are still siloed. Sales is over here, marketing is over here, operations over there. And again, there has to be this move towards consolidating, I'll call it the digital transformation piece with sales and marketing. So everybody's under one umbrella. I know you hate the word marketing, and so do I, but there has to be some new name for a marketing and sales collab. Revenue generation. Okay, I'm with that. Revenue generation team. I think if it had that name, yeah, I like that actually. A revenue generation team, I like that. And, and this is this is down, I'm gonna have to take this hat off because my head is sweating. Right. <laughs> take the I can barely hear you through the hat and the, the headphones being on top of it. Um, the... This is, this is this is not just down to marketers, though. If your marketing team sucks and they're not providing you the right content at the right time, and your paycheck depends on that as a salesperson, as a sales leader that's listening to this show, you need to go and demand it. You need to go and ask. If you ask for this piece of customized content at this part of the sales funnel for these leads often enough, at some point, someone in marketing is going to go, oh, let's just put a process in place to make this happen rather than getting pestered by Will Barron. That idiot is constantly miring me and he's barely hitting his sales target anyway. He's constantly going after me. We'll just put something in place and we'll put some sales enablement uh, tools in place to, to make this happen. So it's down to salespeople as well, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that, that example was sounded quite realistic, Will. It <laughs> <laughs> sounded quite realistic. Yeah. But, but, you know, what about this, Will? We've talked about this in the past. Why not tie the marketing compensation into the sales compensation. Create these little, what do you call that when you got little tribes, little 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 cohorts, mm -hmm. right? You got little cohorts and they're gonna be what? One after the other, they're gonna be looking out for each other. And if their compensation pack is tied together, watch how that alignment works out very quickly. So maybe we're looking in the wrong place, Will. Sit the marketer next to the salesperson with some kind of associate marketer in between them and then just let this let it rock and roll. Let the marketer report up as to what's working, what isn't, and then you can do that at a company level and let the salesperson have these conversations and feedback. I don't understand. I, am I missing something here, Victor? No, I, I you know I think you're highlighting something interesting. You just said something really important. You know, rarely do you do that. Do I pause to say you say something <laughs> okay. important? But I'm not right now. <laughs> The, but you said about if we put the marketing person next to the salesperson, but maybe there's also a customer success person, that other person in between. That's the person we need. So maybe that's the trinity that these these are the little small cohorts that companies can put together so teams become aligned. Yeah, I, I, cle clearly it's more complicated. If you are an enterprise organization with 3,000 salespeople, it's not it's, clearly it's not as simple as what I just made out. If you're a small to medium-sized organization with 50 salespeople and 20 marketers, I don't understand why this can't just be trialed and experimented with. And if you if you have trialed and experimented with this, if you're a sales and marketing leader and your organization has done this, feedback, let us know over at thisweekinsales.com because I, I, I'm, I'm, I've been talking about this for years. And if I understand, not necessarily understand, if I predict that would be an efficient way to do business, to add value, to get in the customer, the buying conversation before that 70% moment when they reach out to salespeople, then smarter people than me must have experimented with some of this. I, I, honestly, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm either 100% right or I'm completely just missing a massive explosive piece of, of, of information here, Victor. Well, if you're in marketing, we want to hear from you. So again, as Will pointed out, go to thisweekinsales.com. Give us your feedback. Tell us what we're missing because apparently we're not getting something. And this has been a problem that's been around for 
I'm not going to say decades, probably a couple of centuries now, you know, at least two centuries where this has been around. Marketing and sales are never aligned. But on that note, let's look at some sales technology. I want to talk about the top 10 CRM software for small businesses. Uh, this is an article written by Katie, spelled K-A-I-T-I -I, Norton. She just couldn't spell it normally. <laughs> she had to go K-A-I-T-I. -I. Uh, I don't think you can blame and, Katie for the name that her parents give her. Her mama is a blame. There's a <laughs> so anyway, a growing, a growing a small business requires strategic investments in the areas that will make your processes simpler and more productive. Obviously, a CRM software application is one of the tools that will help you do that. In fact, 92% of respondents in a report done by Validity, so Validity's State of CRM Data Management Report, said their CRM and data is contained, uh, CRM and the data it contained was important for achieving revenue goals with a powerful CRM support, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, what, what I loved about this article, Will, that it highlighted top CRM companies, but it also highlighted why you would want to use one. I think this it's, it's like a little roadmap. So for example, it said HubSpot, one of your sponsors, right? Said best CRM for built-in marketing tools. So if, I'm, if that's what I'm looking for, maybe I want to look at HubSpot. Nimble, it's best CRM for Office 365 and Google Workspace user. Uh, there's actually something called less annoying CRM, mm -hmm. which is my favorite, yep. which says it's, it's, if you just want best CRM for basic needs and the list goes on and on. And again, we'll list those in the show notes. Uh, and this article is over at smallbusinesscomputing.com. What did you think of this list when you went through it, Will? I, a lot of it makes sense. I've done a lot of work with most of these organizations, <laughs> right? So I know some of the nuances. So for example, HubSpot, uh, sponsored the sales podcast we do over at salesman.org. Um, the best CRM for built-in marketing tools. Well, the ad that we're, I won't plug them too much, but the ad that we're running on all our content at the moment talks about the fact that HubSpot was built from the ground up on one code base. It wasn't built from lots of acquisitions of different products and services like other companies that I won't name in this segment, but is clearly in the list as well. Um, the, the advert talks about the fact that they built all these tools themselves. They weren't acquisitions. It all works seamlessly. And so from that perspective, of course, it's going to be the best CRM for built-in marketing tools because they need something. They just build it in-house. I thought the, uh, on this list, what, what, what caught my attention were two of them. Insightly, mm -hmm. a company we don't talk about enough, best CRM for team management. And then Zoho was the best CRM for lead management. And just to be fair, there's Aptivo, Insightly, Drip, Keep, Salesforce, Vitiger is another uh, best value CRM. I don't know what that really means. But anyway, check out the list. It's a great list. And that's from smallbusinesscomputing.com. Now, I'll, I'll question the list slightly, Victor, in Of course that you will. Of course you will. Go they've ahead. They've clearly chosen individual CRMs for each of these categories, whereas I think a couple of these CRMs are probably the best for multiple categories, and they've, they've tried the best to split them out. I would agree. I would agree. If you do a little Venn diagram, you'll see some overlaps. And so I think they were just trying to simplify it, maybe simplify it too much. But I, but I think it's a good guide if you're just if you don't know what you want for a CRM. I think this is kind of a good guide to start with. Can we talk emails for a second, Will? We can. can we talk sales emails more specifically? And can we talk? Can automated sales emails really be personalized? Well, apparently. This evangelist, this innovation evangelist by the name of Ryan Doyle had grown tired. Listen to me, Will. He had grown tired of a trend he saw in sales technology. Every tool seemed to focus on one thing, Will. Quantity. Send more emails, find more leads, and make more phone calls. If there's an SDR out there, BDR, they're going, yeah, okay, go on, go on, Victor. Yet, the best salespeople aren't sending 1,000 emails a day. They're spending all their time researching prospects and crafting that personal message. So he set out to build his own tool that would one day rule the world. Okay, I exaggerate. <laughs> he set out to build his own tool, uh, one that would focus on quality outreach over quantity. This idea became the foundation of his custom tool. Wait for it. Here it comes. Wait for it. Here comes the name. Wait for it. The Magic Sales Bot. Yes, a program that automates building personalized emails. He used OpenAI's language generating API. Now, Will, I wanted to highlight this also. He's using GPT-3, Generative Pre-Training Transformer 3, an auto-aggressive language model that uses deep learning to produce human-like text uh, that was launched in 2020. And one of its founders is Elon Musk. So this is the new hot trend, by the way, this. GPT-3 is the latest baked in on AI. But I thought it was interesting because 
Uh, let me see. Uh, by the way, he has an example on the website, Will, of, you know, you type in what you're looking for, the article you want to write, and the company you want to target, and it actually comes back with a suggestive article. And it says, to make it work, and what, well, anyway, I'm going to stop here before I get into cracking the code of how you do this. What do you think so far of the magic sales bot? Victor Antonio. And I'll say this, Victor included this one in the doc this week. This oh, is yeah, I do. this is Victor's work here. Uh, look, it's one of those, you, you might be able to replace some really shitty SDRs with this, but being able to do natural language translation and, and pull insights and that side of things, uh, basic insights from the internet, great. M maybe it just becomes market, marketing collateral, right? What you need is somebody who has, what you need is, for example, Victor Antonio. You need someone like you, your knowledge, expertise, insights you've learned over, clearly, because you're, I know you're the bottom end of baby boomers, but you're a freaking baby boomer. That that um, life experience, that's what drives emails that someone opens and goes, oh, I want to speak to that person. If you try and automate the emails that you're sending, they want, they want to speak to a bot. They want to speak to the, the, the automating behind the email. I want, I want to send an email and I want someone to go, I want to speak to Will Barron. I want to engage with that individual specifically. And by using a, a, a bot program to do some of this work for you, you're, you, you're inherently removing some of that, um, that, that interpersonability, that, that, that wants to speak to the individual that sent the email. Does that make sense? Am I making sense there? No, no, you're making total sense because in the, by the way, this is off the, uh, at the website builtin.com. And so this Ryan Doyle used this company built in to actually write a pitch, right? And so they looked at it and they go, it's good, but it's, it's got one or two superlatives, like, you know, really general stuff that you would never put. That's where you're saying the touches come in. What, but no, but more, than, more than that, Victor, I, if I'm doing it, sorry to interrupt you there, um, mm -hmm. but if I'm doing a pitch, I want people to buy into me. People aren't going to buy into me if I'm pitching something that I've not written that has just been thrown on a page for me. It's like a sales manager going, hey, here's our slide deck, go out and sell. If the salesperson right. doesn't customize that slide deck, doesn't add a layer of their ex their own expertise, their own insights to it, it's just generic. Just email me the slide deck. I don't need I don't need the the, the stuff that goes along with it because there's no value there. Does that make sense? If I'm if I'm yeah. pitching a startup, if I'm pitching a startup, the investors are going right. Has this individual who's pitching, has he exited a company? Because that's important for us VCs. Has he raised money in the past? Has he or she done X, Y, Z? And the slide deck and the information within it comes second behind all of that. Well, when you're automating the slide deck and the content, you, you're missing out on what's really important with all of this. Man, I, by the way, again, you're going to miss this. If you're watching this on audio, you are <laughs> missing this. Go to the video. I've never seen this UK individual so animated. So God, because it's so stupid. <laughs> Everyone's trying to like hack the process. Victor, if I email you, you either go, he's an idiot or I want to speak to him. If I email you text that's been created by some uh, uh, bot, um, you know, AI, whatever it is, you don't know what you want to do because you're going, well, this is interesting, but I don't know nothing about the person behind it. Just just speaking in your own language. I We talk about it on the show all the time. I use words that you take the piss out of me for, but it's because you're uncultured and don't understand uh, where the words came from in the language, right? <laughs> all these different elements lead to someone buying into you and they get that gut feeling that, oh, I trust this person. I trust this individual is not going to waste my time. And when I get on a call with them, if we start looking at what outreach is doing, is looking at what messages, calls, and cadences lead to deals getting done, as opposed to what messages lead to just getting replies and open rates. A bot might be great for that, but I don't care about open rates. I care about getting deals done at the end of the funnel. And if people aren't buying into me because I'm just sending stuff that's incongruent and nothing to do with uh, anything that I would come out with, the sales at the end of the funnel, which is what matters, aren't. It doesn't matter how many open rates, what the open rate is, because they aren't getting affected at all. All right. First of all, I'd like to excuse Will. Uh, Walter, his dog, has had the shits probably still for quite a while. <laughs> so oh, maybe that's I'll, a, I'll give the Walter update. Guy. It was his worming tablet. He, he had okay. a worming tablet that morning and then had diarrhea. So that was oh. an easy one to solve. So Yeah. So so Will is fired up a little bit. But you know what? I'm going to take the other point of view because that's what we do here, right? See, you're, you're taking the piss out of this thing. I'm just going to put the piss right back into it. <laughs> 
So because that's, that's not an image that I, <laughs> that image of of that happening. The audience don't want to see that either. That I hope you've got. I hope, you've, I hope you've got some very long rubber gloves for this uh, <laughs> this metaphor, Victor. <laughs> so anyway, so I saw. Yeah, I can't concentrate. I saw the example. They 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 the natural language understanding piece of it actually created a, an email, and it wasn't as effective. They admitted it wasn't as effective. Well. And what they said is you have to add some personal touches. This is something I think, uh, you know, the robots, the bots are not going to be able to kind of duplicate. But what it did do, what I found interesting is that at least gave those who are novices, let me just frame this, those who are novices, a starting point for sending out an email to that client if they didn't know where to start. So to your point, if you're a novice, you don't know where to start, you know, maybe this will help you and then make some adjustments as you go through it. If you're an expert and you understand the business, then you probably don't need this because it's not worth the hassle. But I also thought, and I added this piece also, it says, to make it work, Doyle had cracked the formula. Now, hold on, Will, before you start yelling again. You, you caught me off then. That was that was what I was reading on the doc in front of me. Doyle had to crack the formula behind what makes an effective sales email, but he's also wrestled with a challenging question. Personal sales emails stand out because of their human touch. Will automation ruin that? So he's with you. No, 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 he's not with me. No, he's saying, will automation ruin that? He's saying that his emails, automated emails, will ruin the personal touch. I'm saying they're in completely different buckets. When I email Victor Antonio, he goes, oh, it's Will Barron. I'll open that. I'll reply. When random bot generic 747 called Barry emails Victor, Victor goes, what's this crap? Even if it's the same content within the message and he clicks, you click delete. So how about if it's a cold email? If it's a cold email? If it's a cold email and I'm interested, I'm going to click on the person's LinkedIn profile. And if they're talking with a Jamaican accent because it gets more clicks in the, in the, in the email and the AI says, we'll, we'll do this, 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 and this. But it's, it's a white dude from Preston in the north of the UK who's the least Jamaican person I've ever seen, then I'm going to delete it because it's clearly spam. You know, I have no idea where to go with that one. <laughs> but if, if I may be allowed to finish with the finally get to get off this topic. <laughs> so Doyle recommended, he said, here are the ingredients of a personalized email, which Will totally objects to. He says, step one, there should be an observation. Step two, I'm not going to read the description. There should be a challenge. Third is the pitch. Fourth is the proof that you provide. And then you keep it simple. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Go look at the website, look at what they did in terms of an example, and then you judge for yourself. Uh, and by the way, we're not disagreeing, Will, because I, I know what you're really saying in terms of you can't really let a bot do your job for you. But I but I think this, this I hate the name, by the way, the magic sales bot. Oh, what a horrible name. But I think there's a place for this if it's done correctly. I think there's a place for this in the process. As soon as a bot can replace a human, the bot can just send the email and it doesn't need to be from a human being, right? Now, Correct. maybe this is where this is going in the future. This might be fair to say. If a bot, and it says, Barry the bot, sends me an email with tons of insights, and at the end of it says, hey, if you enjoyed this email, this is just all automated, or you know, in, in less words, this is all automated, you'd probably really enjoy our service because all the insights came from our service then that's an effective cold email. Hey, book a call with one of our consultants. Now, that is not the same as trying to write emails for SDRs so SDRs can book meetings. And obviously, this can be abused, and Google will just immediately, from every IP that these emails are coming from, will just they'll just go into the spam folder or they'll go into the promotions folder. So that's an issue as well versus uh, SDR emails right now are probably going into the main uh, Gmail inbox folder. So th there's issues to some of this as well because once you get an email that works, Someone's going to send it 10,000 times. It's just going to get spam blocked. But that, oh, well, he did, that is appropriate. That is yeah. the future, maybe. Maybe the role of SDRs is limited because SDRs have limited access. Mm -hmm. They are sending these cold emails. Maybe they can be replaced by a bot. But trying to be a human and trying to guide a human to write a message, that's a different conversation to perhaps what bots will be able to do to... Um, throw information our way quicker, faster, um, more insightfully than what a human possibly can. And, and, and by the way, I, I hear what you're saying. One of the things I think uh, we got to give Ryan Doe a little credit here because uh, he was asked to actually take it to the next level to really create this massive blaster 
of emails, personal, and he just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to create this open source software to actually do that because of what you're saying is that it becomes totally a useless tool after that. It just becomes a massive email dump, which he doesn't want to do. But anyway, leave us your feedback. Read the article. Again, it's on builtin.com. We'll leave the link in the description. Go to thisweekinsales.com and let us know how you feel about this. And, and l- let me know. I just want to know. Are you with Will on this one as far as this is a worthless piece of code? Or are you with me that the code has a place? Maybe very narrow, but it has a place in the sales process. We want to know. Do you know what it is, Victor? I'm on drugs what? right now. What type of drugs? I had a cup of coffee today because I had a late, like, late, late night last night working. I've not had a cup of coffee in weeks and weeks and weeks. And so there's probably an element of heightened uh, adrenaline or, or <laughs> neuroadrenaline or something going through my, uh, my my body right now. But that that takes me off a little bit when the, the right. marketing speak of cracking the code and replacing this and doing that. The uh, I'll, I'll wrap up. I'll leave you to this to talk about Mind Tickle. Just, if people just do the jobs, we don't need to automate all this stuff. If people just That's did true. training and did a good job and sent less emails and better emails, all this just bullshit goes away. Gotcha. All right. Uh, note to self, ah, don't allow breath. Will to drink any <laughs> deep breath. Will, Will can, no more coffee for Will in the morning. Anyway, so I let's look at sales training a little bit here. Uh, so I came across this one. It's Mind Tickle. I don't know about the name, but there it is. Mind Tickle, number of, uh, Mind Tickle, what is it? I know I increased, I, I forgot, I cut something out of here for some reason. But anyway, it increased the number of Fortune 500 and Global 2000 customers and achieved more than 150% enterprise net retention. What does all that mean? PR Newswire reports. Now, MindTickle, the leader in sales readiness technology. Now, that caught my attention right there. Today announced it achieved tremendous growth, uh, customer acquisition and engagement and technological milestones. Now, I went to their website and they're all about increasing revenue. They're looking at onboarding and they're looking at coaching. And but they're there. I think this is the first company. Well, and maybe you can tell me if, if there's another company. But this seems to be the first company that I've come across that is really trying to train salespeople, onboard them quickly, and provide some type of coaching culture using a technology platform. I'll go to the bottom, which says, Mind Tickle's remote and ready programs engaging, right now is engaging more than 360,000 users. The platform delivered a 150% increase in micro-learning assignments, 20 million knowledge check questions, 560,000 hours of videos consumed, 641,000 certifications granted, and... This one was interesting. 353,000 role play exercises. My question to you, Will, is what do you think of sales ready technologies and mind tickle itself? There are tons of companies that do exactly this. Okay. Um, I will, I've just, I just went on g2.com just to, to remind myself there's Brain Shock. Uh, I don't know level Brain Shock. Uh, yep. Sales Hood, Showpad, QStream, Lessonly, Aligo. We covered Aligo a few weeks ago on This Week in Sales. The numbers are interested. And do you know what I'm going to do, Victor? Um, we've yeah. got some of these, say, not clearly not venture-backed, massive organization, mind-tickle uh, level, but we've got some of these um, elements in our training program, and you will have as well. Right. I'm interested right. to know how many knowledge check questions over at salesman.org we've covered. Maybe not millions, but it'll be hundreds of thousands, I'm sure. Um, well, well, let me, let me, hours let me, of video let me consumed. A... I'm sure you, okay. you'll have like thousands and thousands and thousands of hours consumed as well. Right. But one of the things that they're using, for example, and I skipped over this part, for the seller, they use something called model pitch uh, before they practice. Every time they make a recording to practice, MyTickle now delivers instant and meaningful feedback to them. It helps them find improvement areas. They leverage the feedback and the model to learn how to, and again, all this is AI driven. So it's the AI say, are you using the right words, the right phrasing? Uh, and it gives them feedback on the actual recording. Hold so that's, that's up, little, hold up. That's is, a little different. Is this oh AI driven or is this a yes, no decision tree? The This is AI driven based on what they're saying. So they're using natural language processing, right? To un, that's why they're, they're recording there. So it can't, it's sure. not a decision. And they're trying to, let's just say they're using, I don't know, a bag of words, keyword cloud type of thing. that says, are you using the right phrases? Uh, and then for the managers, again, I, on this one, when I looked at what they offered, managers get out focused on providing much more valuable feedback beyond the basic with AI covered. What I got from that is that the ad, that was more predictive analytics to me. 
when I looked at what the manager feedback was, right? Because they're trying to say who needs help, who doesn't need help based on the data. But I think, and again, I'm not looking under the engine of MindTickle to see what exactly that AI engine is. But it is, it, it comes across to me as a little more sophisticated than, let's say, you're, you said Lessonly. Uh, I've not really studied BrainShark, heard the name a couple of times, but I don't know if they're using some type of AI to really, you know, pull the insights out of these conversations. I, I'm not I'm not down on MindTickle. I've never worked with them. Um, I have used the product on a, a different project for another organization, a CRM company, um, that were using the product to onboard me onto the CRM so I could go through mm -hmm. and, and talk about it on a, on a kind of paid segment of, of one of our shows. And, it, and it's very good. It's great. Um, I'm not sold on the fact that there's some secret black box somewhere doing all this processing that... <laughs> is is useful i'm not sort of any organization other than the likes of uh, salesforce amazon aws and and these organizations that have just, just uh, like a generation literal 10 years ahead of uh, of, of most other companies i'm not so, when when people say ai immediately it gets my back up just a little bit victor because nine times out of ten when i dive into it a little bit under the surface it's it's a marketing term as opposed to practically there's software running that's going to tell you these insights that you could not have got from a a, a graph, an Excel spreadsheet. And, and by the way, so let, let's kind of define terms because, you sure. know, when we look at AWS, right, this is Amazon Web Service, right? They're making all types of tools, AI tools available to smaller companies. So it's democratizing these AI tools. So to your point is how are they being applied or what's being applied to some of these actual software? Uh, like I said, some of this, because there's, a, I often see some people say AI when they really mean predictive analytics. Yep, yep. Because there's there's no there's no machine learning going on. And so, so you have a valid point and a valid concern. How much AI is really being used as opposed to basic analytics? Or, you know, when you look at like Microsoft 360, you know, they have something called business intelligence, where it really pulls, looks at the spreadsheet, looks at the data, and then tells you the story behind that. And you can tell there's something working here when you're looking at one trillion lines of, you know, information. So I don't know how deep it went down the rabbit hole in the AI piece, but nonetheless, it's an impressive company. And I think somebody dumped like $150 million into this company. Mm -hmm. The, the numbers are incredible. Big, I'm, I'm so yeah. excited about the numbers because this is good news for you and I as well. So mm -hmm. MindTickle, don't, as far as I'm aware, they don't create the content on the platform. It's, a, it's an enablement platform as in there'll be someone in your organization, you buy this, you buy a seat for everyone, and then you, you create your own content and put it on there. So this is exciting for the likes of you and I, Victor, of we are content creators. There's licensing, there's, there's all kinds of things that you and I can do to put our content on, on these platforms. And I know uh, it's not my tickle. I can't think who it is. But one of these sales enablement organizations, it might be Showpad. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, whoever it is. They're now integrating into CRM so they can see people, perhaps they suck at cold calling. Oh, I, I, I won't name companies. Um, but the, the future will be a company like, well, I have to name companies so people know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about. It'll be like Gong. Conversation intelligence mm -hmm. goes into CRM. CRM then says, hey, this individual needs training on X, Y, Z. Then it'll be the likes of MindTickle that will then prompt the sales leadership, whoever's doing the training uh, within the organization, the training team, and say, hey, your team needs one, two, three. Please create this training appropriately uh, to your marketplace, your customers, from the data that you have internally that you know works, interview your top reps, and then put it into our platform. And then that'll feed back into CRM. And then when it gets flagged up in Gong, uh, it'll come back up in there as well. That's that's where all this gets really exciting, as opposed to just uh, kind of one learning platform and uh, whether they're using AI or not. Yeah, I, th I think I would add one more component to that uh, because it ties in. I mean, that's a great explanation you just gave. It's it's a content management system driven by marketing. You know, some of the sales training progress, a lot of the content management stuff is also going to be tied together. So that little sequence you just did, mm -hmm. great explanation. So. Can we just get off this AI thing for a second? Because apparently it's really irritating Will today and his overdose of coffee. <laughs> but anyway, what, hey, Will, have you ever suffered from imposter's syndrome? I have all the time. Like genuinely, we could do a therapy session right now on on where, where, where I, I probably feel like if you ask me a few questions, we'd probably uncover that I feel like an imposter right now as to where I want to be in the next five years. Right. And so as I was reading this article, so here's the title. This was on LinkedIn. 
I like to get the cultural news from LinkedIn because LinkedIn's been really torquing me off lately. Because <laughs> is that a good just, thing or a bad thing? That's I'm not, a I'm not bad sure thing. what you're referring to there, Victor. Torquing me off. They're like, uh, so that's a US Lube thing. last week, talking yeah, you off this week. Yeah, <laughs> torquing me. So, <laughs> Imposter Syndrome's Ugly Roots by Alexander Besant, editor at LinkedIn News. Imposter Syndrome, a term coined for that feeling of inadequacy despite one's accomplishments. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm good so far. Often focuses too much on the individual rather than the cultural or societal problems that cause it, <clears throat> argues a report in Harvard Business Review. This is why I began to have problems with this. Okay, because I said too often focuses on the individual rather than the cultural or societal problems that cause it, argues a report in Harvard Business Review, particularly for, here it comes, drum roll, why do we have to pull this out of the box? Well, why does this have to be there? Particularly for, particularly for women and minorities. As if to say, the average Caucasian person doesn't have imposter syndrome, which is why I wanted to get you on the record early. Because I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, it has nothing to do. So, and, and they, I don't know, Alexander here just really torquing me off. Imposter syndrome could be, don't you love those qualifiers? Could be mm -hmm. the result of systemic bias. Life is bias. Everything's well, anyway. Systemic bias and a history that requires. Wait, there, no, Victor. You were just about to rant about something, and then you held I, yourself I, back. I, I think I, you should continue the rant. Well, well, here's what pisses me off lately. This is what this is what's really getting to me lately. Is that I'm tired of the 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 systemic bi bias. He what he doesn't want to say is systemic racism or sexism. That's what he wants to say, and that's what pisses me off because it's like. Come on, are you kidding me? Everybody suffers from imposter's syndrome at one time or another. It has nothing to do with gender, race, or any of the above. We all feel a sense, that's why I love the first part, feeling of inadequacy despite, despite one's accomplishments. That's called insecurity mm -hmm. and being unsure of yourself. It has nothing to do with system, a systemic bias in, the, you know, in, in society. Anyway, that's what's pissing me off. Now it's my coffee. And then... <laughs> This is the part that, indeed, the author argues that white men's career progression is imbued with validation and role models. Like if, you see what I mean? He's trying to make, whereas women and minorities constantly face questions of their competency, no matter their seniority. Do you know that the second richest man, if not the first richest man in the US, or I guess in the world, is Carlos Slim? He's Mexican, he's a minority. This is what, you know what I mean? I'm tired of this narrative about we don't have any role models to look up to. Shut the hell up. We have role models. They're all over the place. This is, this is such a red herring article. It really bothers me because do we have imposter syndrome? Of course we do. Can we get past this? But it's only, you know, with women and minorities. Well, give it a, give it a few centuries here. White people are going to be minorities. You know, will we say... I mean, by the way, if we can zoom back a little bit, can I just get historical here? If we zoom back, even if you look at the word white, what does that mean? I don't know about you, but I did my 23 in me. And I think I told you, well, I got everything in me, mm -hmm. including Irish. Do you know what I mean? Which I'm very proud of, 1.2%, but it's mine. And so anyway, that's what bothers me about this article. This He, he took a phrase that I think means you're insecure given despite your own accomplishments, which we all have that anxiety and feeling. And now he's trying to make it a racist, sexist issue. And that bothers me. I did 23 Me as well, Victor. And do you know what I found? Hmm. I'm the whitest person of all time ever. Like, <laughs> like it's like 20% Irish, 80% English. That was, that was about my mix-up, a little bit of French in there as well. My wife came back 99.9% .9 European. Yeah. Bam. All, you know, everything underneath that. But anyway, so, you know, anyway, so to finish it off, uh, the author argues that white men's career progression is imbued with validation and role models. Have you been to the backwoods of Georgia here? Not a lot of role models who are white. Okay. Whereas women and minorities constantly face questions of their competency, constantly face questions of my, and matter of seniority. I'm apparently I'm oppressed, and this guy's telling me <laughs> that I'm constantly facing questions, and I'm questioning myself. Ah, Alexander, I would delete you if I could. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, go ahead.
Have you read the book? Now, I've talked about it on the a live stream that I do on Fridays. I've talked about it on other shows recently because I'm reading it. I'm, I'm, I'm engrossed in it. Have you read the book Psycho-Cybernetics? Yes, Maxwell Maltz. Yep. So I'm going to push back on you slightly here, Victor. So for the audience who hasn't read the book, highly recommend it. I, I, I won't put words in Victor's mouth. Do you recommend it? Do you think it's a good book? I think it's a good book. I mean, I read it years ago, okay. but I remember reading it and enjoying the book. Okay, so uh, recommended, highly recommended for me, recommended from Victor. Yep. It yep. talks about the guy who wrote the book, we won't go too into detail, uh, Is a was a plastic surgeon. And he came across this phenomenon where someone would come in, they'd have self-conscious issues, maybe they'd have imposter syndrome. They, they should be a, uh, they, they feel like they should be X, Y, Z, but their nose is bent, they've got big ears, they want a big pair, of, a big rack on them, whatever it is. He would do the surgery and then they wouldn't change. And then they'd want more surgery and they wouldn't change. And the issues that the individuals had was with their actual self-image as opposed to what the what they thought was the world looking in at them, like physically. So what he then started doing was doing less surgery and less surgery and less surgery until he basically became a psychiatrist, working on people's self-image and improving that so that people were happy with themselves as opposed to... And it sounds all hippy-dippy, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll come to why in a second. No, it's a great book. Great um, book. And, and so it's all not like, oh, love yourself. It, it's it's it, it, it talks about this uh, idea of imposter syndrome. And this is why when you ask me the question if I suffer from it, I'm probably suffering from it right now because I'm setting my goals for the next five years as, as we speak. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm the person who is the individual that reaches those goals. So when I see people with imposter syndrome... They may be well on the way to the goals, but their self-image is of an individual who isn't quite there yet. So you need to change your self-image. Now, coming back to this um, post that was on LinkedIn News, I don't think it's unfair to say, I, I, I appreciate and I hear what you're saying about mm. making something clickable, which is clearly what the author did here. Mm. But I also don't think it's unreasonable that if you grow up in, in an environment um, where, um, and uh, you know, I'm from the, the middle of the UK, so I, I can't personally comment on some of this. But if you grow, uh, if you grow up in, you know, the south side of Chicago, and you see um, your peers uh, perhaps not doing great, and you see white blokes in the city doing great, that will affect your self-image. That's a story that you can, if you choose to tell yourself this, you don't. You can choose not to tell yourself this. You can change. You can choose to change your self-image over time. But if your self-image is I'm stuck here. I'm stuck with these, uh, you know, th these uh, 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 black gangs or whatever, uh, and, and I'm stuck in this environment, and I, I can't get over there because I'm white, and then people around you are confirming this because they believe this story, this narrative as well, because they don't have someone. I know uh, some of your history, Victor, and you've you, you've perhaps been through some of this. You, you chose to uh, take a different path and, and chose to get out of the environment that you grew up in. If you don't have a mentor there, if you don't have a book, if you don't have a, a media, a narrative, then some of this could play true in that you told all these stories, your subconscious is, is, is drilled into your brain, your self-image is so wrapped up that I am this. And so it can be a barrier to people having success. Um, so, and same with women, it's same with um, uh, people of, of color, minorities, whatever it is. It could be me not being, it, it could be as daft as I'm six foot three, I can't get. I can't become a professional basketball player because they're all six foot seven. It, you know, it, 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 this self-image affects everything that you do, and I'm sure there's examples that disprove this rule. Of I'm sure there are plenty of basketball players in the NBA that are of a certain height because they're so talented that height becomes less relevant than, than what it would be otherwise. So my takeaway from what you're saying here, Victor, is there's some truth to this. This article was clearly spun to get clicks. But self-image does affect people's ability to have success in life. This is the so so Muggsy Bogues and a couple other people were only there were there were five seven and they played in the NBA were successful right. The problem with this article is that it keeps pushing a narrative. Now, is self-image, you know, a, a, an issue? Of course it is. But true story, well, you'll like this story. So I'm in the hood, right? And if you saw a white person in our hood, you're like, where did that guy come from? Is he lost? What's he doing here, right? And so we were in a financially economically disadvantaged neighborhood in Chicago. Now, one day, I go to the bus stop. I see a white guy with a suit. And the first thing that comes to mind is, I don't know what he does, but that's exactly what I want to do. Because I want to wear a suit. And so... 
that was my small world where we at that time, because I'm a little older than you, as you've pointed out many times, we only had three channels. There are so many examples of successful people that why is it that we have to keep coming back to this? Why does it matter if the, the role model I look at is white? Or, you know, because see, on one hand, we always said we need to it doesn't matter. You're race. right. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, right. I, I don't look at that. It's irrelevant. Right. I'm not, I'm not fussed. Us back to that. Yeah. But, they keep bringing but some us people back are, Victor. Some people are, because of their programming, some people are this concerned. Is part about of the pro this. this is what I'm saying. This sure. is part of the programming because you know what? You know, you got successful women, you got successful minority, and you got successful people of all colors. And there's examples everywhere. So for somebody to say, Again, white men's career progression is imbued with validation of role models. Almost like if we don't have role models, anybody else doesn't have role models. But why can't a person who's of a different color be a role model? Right. I mean, why can't they? And so this narrative was anyway, I think we beat this subject. Up. I hate this narrative. I, I really hate. I believe in imposter syndrome because I also believe like you, like Maxwell Maltz talks about that there is a self-image. But that self-image is how you perceive yourself. But it has nothing to do with what he's saying which is bringing it back to, they have it better. I mean, white people have self-image problems too. It's not, it's not like they're immune to it. That's what kills me about this article. It's not like they're immune to it. So I'm tired of this narrative that, that look, I'm actually, by the way, listen to your white people, I'm actually offending you because everybody's saying you don't have problems. I'm thinking, you know that the poorest majority of the United States is white? I don't know if you knew that, Will. The poorest majority is white. So apparently they have not been imbued with valid role models. I'll tell you what, Victor. I'll, I'll we'll wrap up. I, I don't. I think that was a useful <laughs> segment. I think that was valuable. I, I enjoyed that conversation, mate. But and I'll leave you with this: these kind of articles, these kind of conversations, don't happen half as much in the UK. This is this is a and maybe this should happen more. I don't know. You can be the judge of that if you listen to this show. And it could be that there's just so much systematic racism in the UK that people won't read an article like this. I don't know. I don't know. But. That isn't covered in the news. That isn't talked about. Um, kind of like National um, Female Month or National um, People of Colour Day or however the political way to describe um, black people is. I don't know, whatever it is. That That is not news coverage in the UK. And if it is, it's commenting on what's going on in the US. Yeah, which I think is, again, that's, that's a longer rant on my part. But if we look at it undermines the progress that quote unquote minorities made in this country, which is phenomenal. Do you know what I mean? The impact on culture is phenomenal. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And so when I hear this, it's almost like it's a polarizing effect. You know what I mean? And that I, I guess I'm, I want to transcend. That's the word I'm going to use. I want to transcend categories. And I hate when people keep highlighting categories. <laughs> Well, you, you're spot on. It's polarizing. We're talking about the article because it's polarizing. We've mentioned the dude's name because it's polarizing. He's done probably Alexander, Alexander Bassant. You're full of it. Go I, anyway, go probably. Ahead. I don't want to attack him personally because I, I, I'm not. I, need, I would need to digest this topic a little bit longer. But probably he's got exactly what he wanted from the post. There it is. Who's the See, soccer, Victor? Did. We're the soccer's here, mate. You and I, Well, you <laughs> and I, man. So anyway, leave us your feedback on. And that was our cultural segment, in case you're wondering, what does that have to do with sales? <laughs> well, I think he's selling us a false narrative. That's what I think he's selling us. But anyway, go to thisweekinsales.com. Leave us some feedback on this topic as well, or anything you want to comment, all of the above. Amazing stuff. Victor, anything else to add before we wrap up, mate? No, man, it's been a good week. A uh, little busy trying to, you know, uh, do a lot of virtual stuff. So... That's still going. But I, I see here in the U.S., I mean, I can just feel the mask mandate starting to wither. You know what I mean? So we're starting to see more states open up. I'm starting to see more restaurants, not even they've taken off that sign mask required when walking in. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's I think it's interesting. And I think our hospitalization rates are really down. Well, depending obviously on which state you're in, but they're really down. How's it over there? So we've now, good old Boris has given us some dates to look forward to um, for when the lockdown's going to ease, dates for, I think schools have just gone back this week. Um, so yeah, there's, there's massive change going on. The NHS here in the UK has done a great job and the rates are massively down, both from, I think there's like a third of the population has been vaccinated already, which is incredible. Tens That's of great. millions great. of people, which is insane. Just the logistics behind that. I wish, Victor, I wish 
I was involved with the logistics or involved with these drug companies because somebody has made billions of dollars on the back of all of this. Was that was that Merck? Was it Merck Johnson and Johnson? And there's one more company. Yeah, they've done well. They've done exceptionally well. But they've also done uh, you know, great kindness to humanity as well by coming up with this. Let's give credit to the scientists. You know, we never give credit to the people who come up with this stuff. You know, the vaccine. And so, big shout out to you, science folks out there who came up with this. Amazing stuff. Well, we'll wrap up with there. That was Victor Antonio. Sales royalty, Victor Antonio. My name is Will Barron, uh, founder of salesman.org. And that was This Week in Sales. And we'll speak with you again next week. 